Bibles, you can turn with me, all right? We're going to be, um, basically, the subject material is kind of all over the place today. We're going to start with Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. So last week we talked about what? We talked about the great commission that God calls for us to do. Hey, by the way, somebody's birthday today. They're 30. Greer is 30 today. All downhill, buddy. All right. You've reached the top. You can see over. Yeah, just start walking down the other side. All right. Getting married. It's all over. It's uh, just. Yeah. Oh no! Sorry, wrong. Life's just beginning. Good job, buddy. All right, all right. So the Great Commission tells us what to go into all the world, right, and make disciples. We're supposed to baptize them, and we're supposed to teach. Those were the verbs that we talked about last week. All right. So what we want to use as a launching pad to start talking about all this is what does that mean to us? Because I really want you to think of this in light of two things. God calls us to the Great Commission, which we talked about last week, but he also calls us to the Great Commandment, which is love the Lord your God, your God with all your heart, okay? That is your emotional seat, with all your soul, which is your spiritual aspect of your life, with all your uh, heart, soul, mind, with, as your mental aspect, all right? And then what? heart, soul, mind, and strength, which is your physical aspect, and then love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the five things that we're really going to be covering. So as we see the Great Commission on this, we want to look at each one of those aspects of how the Lord uses us to go out into the world and make disciples, but uses those aspects of how he ministers to us and moves in us in all those five aspects. So, so today what we're going to do is we're going to start talking about the spiritual aspect of it. It's going to take us this week and next week to go through that because there's two things we want to look at. But the first thing I want you to see about this is in Matthew 28, 18, it says this. Before he gives us the great commission, um, he gives us this. He says, all authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. Christ must have all authority in our lives. Here, herein lies the rub. We want to go with Jesus like we want to go with Jesus. We want to go with Jesus, and we want Jesus to move like we want Jesus to move in our lives. We want to be in control of the relationship that we have with the one who created us. It doesn't work that way. In fact, before he sends us out on the Great Commission, he says, all authority lies with who? Lies with him. All authority lies with me. I, have, I can. He tells us later on in John, he says, I lay down this life. I will take it up again. Guess what? Every single one of us are going to lay down our life at some point. But the Lord is going to what? Take it up again. So just as he has done with his own life, he will do with ours. Just as we look at our lives and think we're in control, he tells us that we have to lay all that down. We have to surrender or submit our life to Christ and then he will what? Raise us up. All the old things are passed away and he makes us new. So we become a new creature in him. So if we're a new creature in him and we're a spiritual being, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. This is how we develop the relationship with him and others. So as we look at it in that aspect, there's a spiritual aspect that must be at the first and foremost part of who we are. If God has all the authority, then he is Lord of our lives. 
This term is used all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. God has all the lordship authority in our lives. Psalm 18.2 says this, The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Lordship means he is sovereign, immutable, and divine. If he is sovereign and he is immutable and divine, what do we have over him? Nothing. Nothing. So how can we take what we want and place it above what God has for us? He is sovereign. He's over all. So if he's over all things, he has authority over all things. He's already made, Jesus has already made this statement. So if he has authority over all things, what can we be in control of? Nothing. Nothing. He is immutable. That means he does not make any mistakes. Does anybody here make any mistakes? (laughs) I got one person that said they make some mistakes. The rest of y'all, y'all perfect folks, man. Y'all the greatest thing in the world. I screw up all the time. Every moment by moment. Just ask my wife. She's probably got them all recorded historically. Just to keep me humble, right? So he is immutable. He doesn't make any mistakes. I may have told you guys this one time. I was a pastor coming in lieu of a call at a church that I was at. And I'm on staff at the church. It was packed. Hundreds of people in there. He's talking about the potter and the clay. And so how God remade the pot. That is a picture of us, death to our old self, and God raising us anew, making us a new creation, a new creature, right? He didn't get rid of the clay. He just made it new. The guy said from the pulpit, God made a mistake. And I was like, no, Jack, you just made a mistake. And I was like, well, I've, I've misspoken before once or twice, maybe. I'll let that slide. And then about five minutes later, he, God made a mistake again. And I was like, oh, Joe, no, we can't do this. The third time he said it, I stopped taking notes. We'd been without a pastor for a long time, almost two years, 18, over 18 months. He got four no votes that day. Four. And I was like, I was one of them. And I was on, he's going to be my pastor. I was going to have to work for him. And I was like, God does not make mistakes. How did we just listen to a sermon and think we were okay with that? God is immutable. His lordship tells us that he is lord over all things. There are no mistakes. Trump is not our president by mistake. Although a lot of people may say he is. A lot of people will be saying, hey, you know, that one was a mistake. There is no mistake. There's no mistake all across the world in anything that's going on. God is sovereign. He is immutable. He doesn't make any mistakes. He is divine. What does that mean? In divinity and looking to that, that is perfect. Have any of y'all ever had candy called divinity? Have you ever had divinity candy? That's about the best there is in there. It's nothing but pure sugar in some way, shape, form, or fashion just materialized in some little... And I, my dad and loved divinity. Every Christmas we had divinity. And I was like, this is so good, dad. Bring this home all the time. Divine. 
It's the best of the best. Perfect. There's no way to improve upon it. That is our God. That is our Lord. So how can we in our spiritual aspect of being a follower of Christ to go out into the world and do what he has called us to do ever think that we've got the answer and put it back on him? We do this all the time. We like to take, we rationalize scripture. We rationalize what it means to be a faithful person. Meaning this, we take religious things and we make them more important than a relationship with God. We take non-spiritual things and make them important, more important than a relationship with God. And look, it's very easy to do. Our family gets between us and God. Our finances get between us and God. Our state, meaning this, we don't live like we think we should live, gets between us and God. The circumstances around us get between us and God. And in religious life, if the pastor doesn't do what somebody says he should do, that gets between us and God. If one of our fellow parishioners, members, doesn't do what we think they should do, that gets between us and God. If there's an individual that keeps you from going to church, that is so wrong. But it, but it happens all the time because we get mad at somebody else and we allow that to get between us and God. God is sovereign, immutable, divine. He's got this. If we will just give it over. And look, that's going to go into all these aspects because what happens is when we break this down and let stuff happen spiritually, it gets in our heart. Heart's the seat of our emotion. Then it gets in our mind. And then it starts coming out in everything that we do. This is how sin starts. Go read James. James chapter 1 and James chapter 2 where it's talking to you about sin. You have a lust in your heart. And when that lust in your heart takes birth here, then you sin. So what is a lust? A lust is something that is different from what God wants, and that's love. So God's love is no longer enough, so we lust after something else in our heart. It gets in our mind, and therein lies the sin. Sin does what? Does that bring us closer to God? No, it separates us up from him. So if we need a substance so that we can continue in life more than we need a relationship with God, we allow those substances to get between us and the Lord. And you can choose that. Because God allows us to make that choice. So I'm telling you today, when you want to have a spiritually strong relationship with God, he must be first and foremost Lord of your life. Proverbs 3, 5 through 7 says this, Trust in the Lord. With, uh, oh, excuse me, Let me. I'm getting ahead of myself. Lordship requires two things. Lordship requires trust, which is essentially faith. Proverbs 3, 5, and 7 says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean to your own understandings. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. 
So listen to what it says here. I'm to trust God with all my what? Heart. I just told you where sin began, right? Sin happens when lust, what? Happens in our heart. So emotionally, we think that we need something else. And then mentally, we get it in our mind that that is better than what we have. And then physically, it comes out in some way, shape, form, or fashion. It can come out as words, or it can come out as deeds. Either way, it gets us in trouble. Ever been on social media? People say stupid stuff. I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to be flat honest with you. Heart to heart. I'm not on social media. I will never be on social media. I'm going to tell you why. I don't want to see stupid. And what I mean by this is this. This is the flock and the congregation that I'm called to. And I don't want to see posts because it hurts my heart. Because sometimes we get on there and we don't have God at the center of that. And we don't think about what we're about to do. So I just let everybody else tell me about it. (laughs) I mean, essentially that's what happens. And I'm sorry for that. But I thought about it. I actually tried it. I had one for the church. I didn't have a Facebook account and all that stuff that was Tim Hunter. But I had a pastor thing. And then, you know, everybody friended me. And, you know, next thing I know, I, I had a picture of, a former student pastor with a beer in his hand while he was a student pastor. And I was like, dude, what were you thinking? Well, the Bible says I can drink, Tim. I was like, you can't drink and show a picture with a beer in your hand and post it on social media and be a student pastor. They can't. Your job is to be an example to them. So after his internship, he was gone because we couldn't come to terms with that. You got laid. You're a parent. You're a grandparent. When you become one of those, there are things that you lay down because you can't do those anymore. Watch your mouth, Tim Hunter. <laughs> yeah, I did. Watch what you're saying. Watch what you're doing. It's a constant, isn't it? Because the next thing you know, they're imitating you, aren't they? Yep. That's scary. So think about this. Paul says this, follow me as I follow Christ. That is bold. I've never said to you, and I will not, follow Tim Hunter because Tim Hunter's following Jesus. Because I know Tim Hunter. And y'all do too. And y'all go, that boy put us in high weeds in about two seconds. See, we got to think about these things. We got to use what the Lord has given us through his word and then through the relationship that we have with him so that we can be an example of great commission to those who are in the world. If we can't live the life, then we don't need to be talking the talk because the walk and the talk will not match. 
Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understandings. In all those ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your path. Lean not unto your own understanding. I always get in trouble when I think I know better than God. I don't know what's best for me. God says he knows what's best for me. And his time is perfect. His will is perfect. He just has to fight me all the time. Isaiah 12, 2, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. Do you fear the future? Come on now. The future. Future scares most of us half death. Do we have enough money to live the life that we're living? Are we going to get sick? Is somebody going to be around? Is somebody going to do this? And how is this all going to end for me? God's in control. He's got it. And you're his child. Do you trust him? We talked about this. <laughs> you often do, but you have to go back and pick it up every once in a while. Right, don't we? Because why? What happens when we're left alone to our thoughts? Our minds start running, don't they? Oh, Lord. Bad dreams. All kinds of pictures of stuff come into our mindset. And the next thing you know, we have them as being truth. That's how it's going to go down. This is what's going to happen. I can see it. And we start doing stuff in our own things to try to prevent that or avoid that or whatever. When that, that may not be the reality for us at all. It's just gotten in here and gotten all mixed up and mumbled up. God's got it. He's in control. He tells us he's going to take care of us. We are his children. 2 Corinthians 1, 8, 9 says this. For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction, which came to us in Asia. So this is Paul talking. He's writing a letter to the church at Corinth. church at Corinth is known as a wayward group of people. He's constantly telling these guys, y'all need to straighten up. Y'all need to straighten up. Y'all need to straighten up. So if he's talking about affliction to them, he's got a message for them. Paul endured a lot of affliction. Nobody wants to live that life. I don't want to get stoned. I don't want people throwing me out of the city. I don't want to be shipwrecked multiple times. I don't want to go through all that. I don't want to be in jail. So all the affliction that came to us in Asia, we were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves. Look at that. We had the sentence of death within where? 
ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who what? Raises the dead. He's writing this to somebody else, so he definitely what? Survived it. But this is the Apostle Paul. Do you get any closer to God than that? And he says, there were times when I thought I was done. And I had resided in my mind that it was over. But it was not what? It was not over. And so from that point on, it became a what thing? A Paul thing? No, it became a God thing. This is why I say this, and I know it gets me in trouble all the time. we got to get out of God's way. Because I don't want what goes on to be a Tim thing. I want it to be a God thing. You see how many kids went back there? All right. So what happened? What happened here? All this today. This is as full as this place has been in six, nine months. Easy. Even when we rolled out the food, man, we weren't even this full at homecoming. Why? Because she saw something online that stirred her heart. And then Taylor responded to that and called Ethan. And Ethan is the Pied Piper. Amen. And it wasn't just Ethan. Sonora, you got your granddaughter here, right? She's back there. Everybody, all these children. This is what brings life to us. And we got to understand this and understand the importance of it. This has to be passed down. This is a spiritual thing. This is not a bloodline thing. You will not pass it down because they're a Compton. Because everybody's kin to Miss Fran. That doesn't make you saved. It's not a bloodline thing. It is a spiritual thing. They need to be in church, not because you were raised in church. They need to be in church here in the Word of God because that's how they develop their spirituality themselves. And then as they grow up, you get to have the spiritual conversations with them. God uses you. But it starts with God's Word, which is right now being invested in them in the back. And the word of God says that they will not, they will return to that. It will not be void in their lives. It may take a while. <laughs> Proverbs tells us when they're old, they may, they will not depart from it. Doesn't say anything about, you know, the 20s and 30s, Greer. You're in big trouble. <laughs> but at that point, when you're older, it comes back to you. Why? Because you remember the investment. And you remember the transformation. We forget this process. We don't guard our heart. <laughs> Proverbs 4.23. You need to write that one down and go circle it and underline it. Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the springs of life. Guard your heart. 
Guard your heart. You are a spiritual being, but the heart is the seat of your emotions. And when your emotions get jacked up, your mind gets messed up. Clay, when I get home today, will you remind me to set the time so it doesn't throw me off every five minutes when I put my iPad down? Clay's my uh, computer whiz over there. Everything in our house electronically goes to Clay. He hates it. Clay, I can't get the remote to work. <laughs> Leave me alone, Dad. <clears throat> so lordship requ requires trust. Lordship requires recognition. This is the validation. God will allow you to do it yourself as long as you want to do it yourself. Do you get that? Repeat it with me. God will allow you to do it yourself as long as you do it yourself. There's a lot of thing that's done in our lives, in our families, and in our churches today under the name of Christ, but he ain't got nothing to do with it. Nothing. Because he ain't receiving the glory for none of it. told you a couple of weeks ago or either last week the church has got to get more horizontal the church is way too vertical what do i mean by that i mean we have a lot of people worshiping in the same place following one dude and that dude in a lot of cases is all about replicating what took place in the first place and putting it over here and doing it again in this city. And then doing it again in this city. And then doing it again in this city. But it's still what? One person. It's one person on the screen. All that. Look. God, can God use that? Yes. That's not what I'm bemoaning. I'm bemoaning is what happens when that guy is not there anymore. God needs to raise. Up. We need to multiply this out. This is all about multiplication. This is being exponential. What would happen is instead of building a vertical church, we built a horizontal church. And instead of one person in a hundred places, there was a hundred people in a hundred places. And then if we're replicating it that way, this is what Paul did. Paul took Timothy with him. He got to this place. He left Timothy. He took Titus with him. He got to this place. He left Titus. He took Philemon with him. He got to this place. He took it. He left him. He picked up people. He invested in them. He spent time there. And then he went to another place and he left them there. That's not what we're doing. Al and I have talked about this a lot. We're not discipling. We talked about it last week. We're not investing our lives in other people. We're not talking to them anymore. We're just texting them. We're not having face-to-face, heart-to-hearts. We're emojiing our emotions. God has called us to something different from that. 
Lordship requires recognition. We've got to recognize God for who he is. And then we've got to see that we're in charge of our lives. Lay that down. Romans 1, 28 through 32 says this. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to the depraved mind. If you'll pick this up a little bit earlier, you'll see the first thing that went was the heart. Now we've gotten to the mind. To those to do the things that are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedience to parents, and without understanding untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they did not, although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but they also give heartily approval to those who practice them. Look, and when the mind goes, do you catch this? Once the mind goes in all this, what comes out is a bunch of junk. There's not one single solitary positive thing right, right there. Now, I want you to think about this societally. The more we remove God, see, we thought having God coming out of schools wasn't the problem. God came out of our hearts a long time before that that allowed us to take him out of our schools. Do you catch it? We'll go back and we'll say something that happened caused this downfall. But the real problem was God came out of our hearts. And when God came out of our hearts, then he came out of our minds. And when he came out of our minds, we didn't really care anymore. So we started taking him out of everything. So people get mad because I don't get upset because there's no Ten Commandments on the courthouse lawn or something like that. It didn't start there. That is just, we got to go back. When you're sick, you got to find what's making you sick, right? You can't treat the symptoms. That's symptomatic. The problem is, is he's come way out of our hearts, and now he's nowhere near in our culture. So we got to get back to battling for the hearts and minds of people. And it's hard. Because the further they get from God... What does it say here? It says they not only don't care about the junk that they're doing, they give credence to everybody else who does it with them. So lordship requires recognition. That's validation of a relationship that we have with him. Third thing is this, lordship requires reverence. All. This is not a rhetorical question, but it is just a question. Do you fear God? I'm going to tell you this. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. If you don't fear God, you ain't never going to get it. If you're okay with you and you ain't scared of that, you need to reevaluate. We need to have a healthy fear of God. Now, I want you to tell you this. I, I said healthy fear of God. 
I think I've told you guys before, when I first became a Christian, I told you this a few weeks ago, when I first became a Christian, when I was 16 or 17, I would, I don't know, let's just say a four-letter word slipped out of my mouth as I was driving to school that day. I went around the rest of the day at school going, oh my Lord, Lord's going to strike me dead for that. I have sinned, and he is going to repay that sin against me. I was scared of God. I did not have a healthy fear of God. Can God kill me and take me out at any point in time? He created me. That's up to him. He can. But this is a reverence. This is a fear of the Lord that deals with an awe. He is God and I am not. See, if there is no recognition of God, there's no reverence for God. When there's no reverence for God anymore, what's it say is a sign of the coming of the Antichrist? What's going to happen? Desecration of the what? Does anybody remember in, the, in Revelation? Goes in, Antichrist desolates the temple of the Lord, does he not? Desecration of the temple of God. There it is right there. A total lack of reverence. For God. It's gone at that point. And we're going to sit there and we wonder why we read the book of Revelation. Oh my gosh, if the seas were turning to blood and all this stuff was happening and people were dying and a third of the world is wiped out. Don't you think people would wake up and start to realize and smell the coffee that something is wrong? No, that's how bad it has gotten. That's how numb they've become. You ever heard the story of the frog in the kettle? You can actually call a frog. He'll just go in the water, and you just turn it up, what they say, one degree at a time. The whole time, never jump out, and you can boil him right there. Just one degree at a time, raising it. Just one degree at a time. Just one degree further away from God. How many hunters do we have in here? Go out in the woods. Get off one degree. Walk a few miles. See where you're at. You're not where you're supposed to be, are you? Be off 5, 10, 15 degrees. Hmm. You are lost. Totally lost. That's how important it is. That's why the lordship of God is so important. Because we're going to see next week, there's no way we have what we have next week without lordship. I'll go on ahead and bust it for you a little bit. We're going to talk about leadership. If God isn't lord of your life, he definitely ain't leading it. So if he's not lord and you have a spiritual relationship with him then you're leading it. Back off. That's going to get messy. So we need to go home. This isn't a, you know, we can make a commitment or we can uh, re, uh, recommit our lives or rechallenge our lives. We can come up here and we can pray. I, but the reality for this is, look, this is a deal where you kind of like you have to go home 
and really sit down and start to think about this. Have y'all seen that lady? I don't, I don't know. Um, she's, uh, she's from the Far East, and she's been on, I think Netflix had her on there, or somebody, Prime, or somebody had her on there. She has this show where she goes in and helps you clean out your closets. What's her name? Is he? Do y'all remember my name? Do y'all, do y'all remember? What's her name again? Marie Kondo. I watched this show. She goes into these people's houses, and she just starts picking up their stuff and loving on their stuff. And She goes, if you don't love it like this, you got to what? Get rid of it. All my underwear is rolled up in my drawers now. <laughs> and I got three pair. I just kind of, I got to really wash, you know, because I didn't like the rest of them. And I'm like, they're out of here. Marie said they got to go. They got to go. I'm not joking. Tomorrow watched. She binged on this like a season last Christmas. 14 bags of clothes I'm hauling off, man, to places. We didn't love nothing. But the problem was is we went back out and found a bunch of other stuff we needed to love. And those same drawers are slap full now. And they're all rolled up. So there's twice as many. I'm just playing. But do you get, you get what I'm talking about here? Spiritually. You got to Marie, whatever her last name is. You got to go do that. If you don't spiritually love it, it's got to what? It's got to go. Got to go. And it will clean up your life. Now, I want to tell you this. Anybody that's ever done that, when I got finished, I sat down and I was like, I feel so much better. This will happen to you spiritually. If we get rid of this junk that's in our lives, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says, Get rid of the sin which so easily entangles you. We have put ourselves in bondage with junk. Y'all have had enough. It's 12 o'clock. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity which we had to come here to hear your word, Father, to be with you. Lord, I pray that in some way, shape, form, or fashion, wherever it is, whatever area of our lives, whatever things, whatever relationships that we're dealing with that we've allowed to get between us and you um, that are causing spiritual distress in our life, for you're no longer Lord, we've got control over that, that you'll get us just to let it go. Thank you for your grace and mercy that still allows us to be here, even though we've allowed all this stuff to happen. Bless us, Father, in spite of ourselves, by moving us to be closer to you. These things we ask and pray in Christ's name. Amen.